When you think of electrification, what do you think of? Well, a lot of people tend to think of EVs or electric cars, and that's what our guests are here to chat about today. I'm going to be joined by Stephanie Chan. She's the editor of Globe Drive, the Globe and Mail's automotive section, along with Matt Bubbers. He is a car critic featured in Globe Drive. We'll be talking about the potential of electric vehicles, along with clean energy, to help reach net zero and how to overcome the barriers of adopting EVs and making them a viable solution to climate change. First of all, thank you guys so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, so before we even get into this very juicy conversation, I want you to break down, what does electrification mean? Because I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what this word means. So Matt, I'm going to start with you. Can you break down what it means? Well, I mean, I think it's really easy to get caught up in the nitty gritty of all the definitions. But first and foremost, it's important to remember that it's possibility. It's exciting. I mean, this is a once in a generation shift, once in a century shift that's happening. So yeah, generally electrification, though, is the shift from internal combustion cars powered by basically dinosaur bones to cars powered by electric batteries and electric motors. And Stephanie, anything you want to add to that answer? I mean, I feel like that sums it up really well and with an appropriate flair as well. It's an interesting time to kind of see that so much of our technology, not even just electric vehicles, right, have been powered through fossil fuels for so long. And we're seeing more and more alternative technologies, different fuel sources. And this is just one aspect of the way that electrification is taking over vehicles and so many things that we use day to day. Well, with everything out there, I'm really curious as to how the both of you ended up on this path. How did this become your direction? Matt, I'm going to start with you. Well, I mean, before I became a reporter covering the automotive industry and transportation, I was just like, I'm sure so many people out there and so many kids, I was just really into cars. Like I could tell you what every car was based on the headlights going past. And uh, I read all the car magazines as a kid. I was just super into cars. But that said, you know, as much as I love the sound of a V8 engine and like the scream of a Ferrari V12 and the excitement that we get from those great cars and great engines, electric mobility and electric Electric cars offer a new kind of excitement, a new kind of thrill that I think, you know, even for people who really love the old school kind of car stuff is going to be really exciting. And Stephanie, same question for you. How did you end up on this path? I was not like Matt. I did not grow up around a love of cars. Um, And you know what? In a lot of respects, I wouldn't even consider myself a car buff or a gearhead even now. I actually came to the section almost without a traditional car background about two years ago and have kind of picked up because I had previously done a lot of business reporting, investing in a lot of kind of all topic reporting. And then actually having to focus on vehicles was a challenge for me at the beginning. But what has really excited me about the section is not only getting to know all the gearheads, obviously that right for the section and learning this part of the world, but also exploring the future of mobility um, of all the things that uh, vehicles are heading into versus where they are at now or where they were in the past. All right. I want to go back and talk about the history of transportation and its evolution. And Matt, you kind of alluded to it in your first answer, but I want you to break down and give us kind of like a historical step-by-step of how humans have tackled the leap in technology from horses to buggies to combustion engines to now EVs. It's always been a struggle. You know, any kind of big change, like the way we move around, has always been a struggle. So back in the late 19th century, when the shift from horse and buggy to automated buggy to like self-powered buggy, when we ditched the horses, there was chaos on the streets. Like cars needed people walking in front of them, waving a flag. There was like outrage that they were going to be dirty, dangerous, noisy. And it was a difficult transition. You know, people just didn't start buying cars and then they were everywhere. You know, my 
granddad was in his 90s and he lived in Toronto and remembers when there were more horses than cars on the road. So it's not that long ago. Back then in the late 19th century, early 20th, there was actually, you know, I think a lot of people know that there were electric cars back then too. So it was this struggle between what was going to win, steam, gas, electric. Gasoline cars definitely won the last century, but I think this century is going to belong to electric vehicles. Yeah, and I can jump in here. I mean, I think any kind of car history buff is going to zero in on the Ford Model T. It's the kind of model car that changed everything that caused the explosion of gasoline cars. So I think that came out in 1908. And Henry Ford was so confident in this one product that he basically discontinued every other line of cars that he was creating on in that moment. And then all throughout World War I, there was a lot of kind of emphasis on creating vehicles for the war effort. There was time and money there. And so they spent all of that time also making it cheaper, improving the design, making it kind of like shipped in a box to everybody, improving that strategy. So I think by the time the war ended, people were wanting to get back to normal life. And this was truly the first affordable vehicle that could be sold off to the masses. And so no surprise that basically everybody in America like took them up on their offer because they wanted to get out of the city, go on trips, like stop thinking about the war all the time. And I guess when we talk about that conversation of what came first, the infrastructure to be able to support the gasoline car so that everybody could start using it or whether the car necessitated created the demand for the infrastructure for it. Um, I think like in that case, the un- I mean, people will still argue about it, but I guess in my opinion, I feel like the existence of something truly affordable that people really wanted kind of caused that explosion across the country. Yeah, I love that, that you took that evolution in the history of it and broke it down that way because the Model T was very important in that transition. But talk to us now about and describe the current EV landscape. Where are we now when it comes to in terms of cars and bus fleets? Matt, I'll throw that question to you. Sure. I mean, basically, even though there have been, you know, the Tesla Model S has been around for almost about 10 years now, we're still kind of in the beginning. Like in terms of the total Canadian vehicle sales, I think last year there were 39. 9,000 pure battery electric vehicles sold in Canada last year. And, you know, that was up. That's up even in a pandemic that was going up. So people are interested in this and all other car sales were going down. But, you know, 39,000 is still a drop in the bucket compared to the, you know, roughly 1.4 million new gas vehicles that were sold last year just in Canada alone. So it's rising, but we're still, make no mistake, in the early days. All right. So, guys, how is electrification and EVs important to climate change, especially here? here in Ontario. Right. I mean, in Ontario and actually Canada as a whole, we're so well positioned to make the transition to EVs because our electricity grid is so clean. I mean, you don't want to power EVs with coal. You don't get a lot of benefit there. But because our grid is so clean, we really are well poised to get the kind of the maximum benefit from shifting to electric vehicles that will, you know, ultimately help achieve the goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which is what this is all about, you know, and saving the climate. Stephanie, anything to add to that? Yeah, and I think it's a great point to think about not just what is being emitted in terms of vehicles, but what goes into it. So the idea of it being clean from in and out is a really important aspect of how we can overall have a double-pronged effect on climate change. I'm curious, who's buying EVs? Who's the main consumer? 
Well, when you look at it from a province by province breakdown, you're kind of, I think even some of the most recent stats have showed that it's Quebec that buys like half of all EVs in Canada. And that's because like one, they have the most robust EV rebates provided by the government. So there's more incentives there. And then also it's one of the areas that actually has a provincial mandate where I think um, <laughs> at a rate down something like 3.5% of all vehicle sales needs to be electrified of some kind. So that also includes plug-in hybrids, um, like hydrogen, electric, all of those vehicles. What that also means is that manufacturers are also dinged financially if they are not able to sell an amount or they have to buy offset credits from somebody else who has sold more. And I think close second behind Quebec is probably BC. They also have very robust EV credit. So you kind of see sales leading between those two provinces. We're going to pause here for a moment and hear from a climate challenger at OPG. Hi, my name's Tyler Seed, and I'm on Ontario Power Generation's electrification development team. And this is my role in reaching net zero. I've been with OPG a little over three years, and that's about as long as I'd say I've officially been in the business of electrification. But before that, I spent several years in the environmental sector. At this point, there's really no denying that climate change is the biggest threat we face or that electrification is a key part of the solution. So you may be asking, what exactly is electrification? Basically, electrification is just the process of powering a machine with electricity. Our homes already use electricity for a lot of things, but there are huge opportunities to expand the use of clean power by electrifying things like transportation, home heating, and industrial processes that still rely on burning fossil fuels. It can be difficult to accurately measure environmental impacts, but one of the great things about working in electrification is that you can pretty much directly count how much carbon is being removed as a result of what you're doing. For example, replacing a gas-powered car with an electric one removes about three and a half tons of CO2 per year in Ontario, depending on how much you drive. Electrification makes a lot of sense for Ontario because we already have one of the cleanest electricity grids in the world. So when you replace a gas car with electric here, you get a better bang for your buck in terms of emissions reductions than just about anywhere else. Meanwhile, transportation is responsible for about 35% of carbon emissions in the province. So using our clean power, which mostly comes from nuclear and hydro, to run things like electric vehicles, is one of the most efficient ways to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and get us closer to a net zero future. That's why OPG, through our subsidiaries, has been working to advance the electrification of passenger vehicles in transit. In partnership with Hydro One, we created the IV Charging Network, which, once complete, will be one of Ontario's largest, most connected EV charging networks, allowing you to travel confidently across the entire province, including the north. Through our subsidiary, Power On Energy Solutions, we're tackling complex electrification projects, such as providing the charging infrastructure to power the Toronto Transit Commission's entire fleet of 2,400 buses by 2035, in partnership with the TTC and Toronto Hydro. This happens to be North America's largest transit electrification initiative. These are big projects, but I think OPG is uniquely positioned to be a major player in helping Ontario get to net zero by 2050 through electrification. We've got the size and capabilities, but more importantly, we're demonstrating the willingness and commitment. For anyone out there looking to do your part, consider going electric for your next vehicle. There are lots of great options out there for personal vehicles already, with more, including pickup trucks, on the way. And if you look at it from a full cost of ownership perspective, rather than just the sticker price, it can make a lot of sense economically, too. What other barriers do you think are going to exist for EVs? Matt, I'll throw that one to you. 
right now we've there's a bunch of big barriers. So, you know, we can overcome them just like we did 120 years ago for gas cars. But it's really, you know, the purchase price, the sticker price of EVs are still more expensive than combustion engine cars. And that puts a lot of people off right away. Some people argue that, you know, by the time EVs have lower maintenance and you're not paying as much for electricity as you are for gas, so the costs kind of equal out over the long term. But you know, I think we could get to some kind of cost parity in the next few years. The other big barriers, though, are infrastructure, like EV chargers. You asked about who buys EVs, and it's really only people in cities. It's like Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto. Rural adoption of battery electric cars is a big challenge that we haven't begun to tackle that. So that's going to be another big barrier, the price and the infrastructure. Stephanie, anything to add to that? Yeah, I actually have a lot to add even on just the charging aspect, because um, right now, yes, a lot of people are buying within only cities, but it's also who are those people in cities buying? It's people with detached homes. So they're already of a certain income level um, with the ability to buy property in a city like Vancouver or Toronto. And that's because like, where are they going to charge it? Reliably, what you really want to do is you want to charge it at home at a kind of a a slow drip. So not like a fast charger that you see on the roads because that is better for the battery life of your vehicle. So you want to plug it in when you come home from work and leave it there all night. That is the, the best way to kind of maintain your car battery. If you are a person living in a condo or someplace with only street parking, it's not like there are outlets on lampposts that you can just plug right into. So that's a real barrier for people. And even to add for people who live in condos, then you have to deal with your condo board. A lot of these parking garages don't have electric EV chargers installed. And then it's almost like this big fight with your condo board of who pays for it. Can I get it installed? All of these things. seems like it would almost be easier to go and buy a house in the country. Yeah, most definitely. And as a person who's a condo dweller, I completely see that. It's like, even if you want one, it's like, well, where are you going to charge it? And it's a whole other thing that we're not quite there yet. But my next question is, why do EVs make sense in a net zero future? And how can they help drive electricity costs down, which is super important? Matt, I'll throw that question to you. When it comes to the climate crisis, which is what this is all about, right? The reason we want to electrify transportation is to prevent more forest fires, to prevent sea level rise, to prevent those disasters. And right now we're failing to do that. So despite the fact that your car now is more efficient than your car 5, 10, 20 years ago, Greenhouse gas emissions from transportation in Canada are going up, and it's because there are more people buying more SUVs that, you know, are less efficient. They burn more gas. So we're failing to do the one thing with all our new transportation technology that we want to do, which is reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So the potential for EVs is there to do that. And yes, electricity takes you know, it does require some energy and that energy can be dirty. In Canada, we're lucky it's very clean. So EVs are really going to be so much cleaner than our gas powered vehicles, even with current technology and current power generation. They'll really go a long way to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions and meeting those big global targets that we really do need to meet to avoid a climate catastrophe, which, you know, we're kind of speeding towards that right now. And on the second part of your question about, you know, how can EVs help maybe bring down electricity costs? Right now, it's a bit of a sort of theoretical question. I mean, we're still kind of in the early days of this, but electric vehicles do have a lot of potential to reduce those costs uh, of your electricity, you know, whether it's by kind of emerging technologies like 
cost-based charging off-peak, so you're charging at you know when there's low demand for electricity. That might reduce the amount of total electricity we need to generate, which could reduce costs. You could also have um, your car plugged into your house act as a kind of emergency generator, or it could even sell electricity back into the grid during peak times when there's high electricity demand. So you could you know charge off-peak your car, fill its battery, and have that battery feed back into the grid when electricity is really expensive during those peak demand times. But, you know, this is a big kind of infrastructure issue that will be worked on over the next decades, likely. Mm-hmm. Well, you touched on a lot of really good points there, Matt. And uh, I got a question for the both of you. What gets you excited about EVs? Stephanie, I see you smiling, so I'm going to start with you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited about EVs because it's it's not just about cars. It's not just about trucks. It's also things like electrified scooters and bikes. Um, like, There's so many transportation options that I think like we've only really scratched the surface of. And they all have the potential to kind of create better cities to live in, where even the example of car sharing or bike sharing or scooter sharing, all of these kind of can piggyback off of this electrification of the way that we move around. And it all makes makes it so that we have to rely less on personal passenger vehicles where we now have things like traffic jams or we're just like stuck behind like reams of people and we hate our life. Um, and even now with the work from home trend, we, you, we don't need to commute as much anymore. And so I, th- I see all of these things as contributing to a better experience in cities for people, especially as more and more people continue to just migrate into cities. Great point. And Matt, what gets you excited about EVs? I mean, if we can make our commutes faster with EVs and car sharing, that would be amazing. Like, nobody would argue against that. But for me, you know, as I like to drive, I like the feeling of driving a fast car. And I don't know, Andrea, have you ever driven an electric vehicle? I haven't, not yet. It's on my bucket list. I haven't, I haven't yet. Like, it will kind of blow your mind. I mean, the first time you drive an electric car, it is crazy. They are just so fast, so fast. It's like... There's like a memory burned into my mind that was just like driving the Porsche has an electric car. It's wildly expensive and fast. But driving it around a racetrack, it was like a totally new experience. It was not like any other car. It feels so alien. And the power, the acceleration is physically shocking. Like it, yeah, that to me is so exciting. And plus, you know, all these other little electric things. E-bikes are amazing. They make you feel like Lance Armstrong going down the road. And uh, e-scooters, Segway, one wheel. It's like, it's wide open. It's the Wild West right now. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. And, you know, in the beginning of the conversation, you did say that you're a lover of cars. And I I could tell because your whole face and body lit up talking about driving that Porsche. You're like, have you driven an electric car, Andrea? Um, Which is exciting to see your excitement. Um, But just as we are about to close, tell me, what's something that people may not know about electrification that you think is most important for them to know? Yeah, what's the most exciting thing or what's the thing that people don't know about electric vehicles? You know, I think it's just there's this focus on cars and there's this focus on passenger vehicles. But in the pandemic right now, like we're getting stuff delivered to us. We want everything to come to us. And there are some numbers put out by the federal government, I think, that say that emissions from delivery could actually outpace emissions from personal transportation in the coming years. So, you know, as important as it is to electrify passenger cars, the stuff we drive every day, doing like delivery vans and and bigger trucks, whether that's electric or hydrogen, that is just as important. That's just as big of a piece of the puzzle that we need to focus on. 
building on Matt's point, there's all these ancillary services that have like fantastic potential when it comes to EVs or electrification. Because I think people often don't even think that. It also goes into their home purchases as well. If you have an electric vehicle in your garage, you better make sure that your electrical wiring is enough to also be charging your car as well. And if you have an older home, you might need to renovate it. If you're buying a new home, you might want to consider whether your home actually equipped for an electric vehicle future. And all. so there's all of these things that actually like send their kind of spidey fingers like into every other aspect of our economy. And I think maybe one of the things that excites me the most is sometimes when I look internationally to other markets where they seem to just have electric cars just more capable and in hand. And you kind of look at why is this exceeding over there when we are so slow? So where where are we internationally? Where do we where do we stand? Matt, do you know that answer? I mean, I'm not going to put a ranking on it, but let's just say we're pretty low. Uh, Canada is not doing well when it comes to you know, pushing EV adoption. And part of that is that we're kind of so tied to America because we're a small country next to a huge country. And so we kind of piggyback on most American regulations, which until recently, under the previous American administration, they were not big on EVs. So they rolled back a lot of the, you know, fuel economy standards. And now the new Biden administration is trying to put new ones in place. But, you know, the federal government here in Canada, to their credit, did announce that by 2035, they want 100% of new vehicles to be either battery electric, plug-in hybrid, or I think they might include mild hybrid in that too, but they want all of those vehicles to be zero emissions by 2035. So, you know, that's a bold step. And it's actually a bigger step than the Biden administration just announced. The Biden administration is sort of doing like a more voluntary kind of target. They're hoping that, you know, automakers can have like 50% of their sales be zero emissions. So Canada is maybe a little bit ahead of the US right now, but Still a long way to go and look at the EU, which regulates uh, tailpipe emissions is kind of their main thing, which Canada should maybe consider aligning with the EU and getting a big global standard to make this transition easier. All right. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Now I know what electrification means, which is super important. And hopefully those who are listening also got a, a really great uh, lesson on where we are and what everything means. But I want to thank you guys so much again. Um, my guest again, Matt Bubbers, car critic for The Globe and Mail, and Stephanie Chen, editor of Globe Drive. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Thanks, Andrea. This was fun. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We hope we answered some of your burning questions around electrification and its role in net zero. But if you still want to know more, visit climatechallengers.com.